Hey listeners, this is Charu Sharma from Silicon Valley and you're listening to Working Moms. We invite impressive working moms from all walks of life to learn about their choices, trade-offs, work-life balance, re-entering the workforce, self-care, their definition of success, financial planning, and much more. Today we have with us Sharia Sigala, who's the founder and CEO of Kinside, which is a childcare marketplace trusted by over 2,000 employers and over 10,000 preschools. Uh, Sharia, thank you so much for making time for us today and being here. I am so excited for our conversation. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, don't be surprised if two little children interrupt the conversation. As we know, that's the reality we're all living. <laughs> I think that's very appropriate for the topic that we have. Uh, it would be a delight if we hear their voices in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's jump right in. I'm curious, um, how has motherhood affected uh, your career as a founder? And then vice versa, how has your choice to be a founder affected uh, motherhood? You know, my my career trajectory um, is not so typical. And so I have to say that parts of, parts of my experience of being a mother and being a working mother, um, may not be as, uh, relatable, but other parts are very, very relatable. So I just wanted to do that disclaimer in that you're right. I am a founder. I'm a female founder of a tech company. This is my second tech company. Um, and being a mother has influenced, I mean, it influences what I wear every day, right? <laughs> it influences every part. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, like how long my skirt can be so that I can pick up my baby, um, you know, down to, you know, obviously what type of company um, do I want to build and do I want to found um, in a way that it will allow me to also be fully present as a mother. So, um, so. Your, your first company was in a different vertical and then Kinsight is in family tech. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you tell us first a little bit about um, what made you want to start Kinside? Yeah, so they say that um, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And for me, that was very much the case in founding Kinside. As you uh, mentioned at the beginning, Kinside is a marketplace or a platform where parents, working parents, can come and find Quality, uh, qualified, vetted daycares and preschools. However, not just any parent can come on Kinside and use it. You have to be an employee employed by one of our partners, right? So this is only available as an employee benefit. And the reason for that is that, you know, as you mentioned in my last tech company, I became a mother co-founding my first company. And it was that experience that, first of all, really exposed me to the day-to-day challenges of being a woman and a mother um, in this society uh, with a career and just how incredibly difficult um, it is to maintain both a thriving career and a balanced family um, family life. Um, but also as a founder of that, co- of that first company uh, called HoneyBook, you know, I was I was responsible for the culture uh, and the benefits in that organization as the head of HR at the time. And so when I thought about, okay, I understand that my experience as a new mother twice uh, was incredibly difficult. Um, and I also understood that more and more of our employees were becoming parents. And so they were facing similar challenges. 
for us, it became a business imperative to create a benefit, an organizational and cultural program that was addressing the challenges of our employees as parents. And when I began to create that program, you know, from the paid family leave to our benefits portfolio, I realized that there was a big gap in the marketplace of benefits in the category of childcare. So that was the impetus for founding Kinside along with my two co-founders. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I think that the best companies are started by founders uh, who really experienced that problem so intensely and then went out there and built a solution uh, for it. And uh, especially as a female founder myself um, who wants kids in the future, I'm so grateful that founders like you are changing the landscape mm-hmm. for people like us. Um, so. Um, uh, as you mentioned, you had first founded um, Honeybook, which is a pretty successful company, has over 100 employees today. Um, I'm curious, how was your experience as a founder different before you had kids and then after you became a mom? Oh, that is an easy one. I was a spoiled single person, like married, but without children, who just uh, had the luxury and the privilege of not having to think about the experience of uh, parents. And, you know, I, I have to say, and I, look, I, I say it not in a proud way, but just in a, in a factual way. We had employees at HoneyBook that had kids, but they were primarily um, the fathers who already had sort of, you know, little or grown children. So so it took, I was the first person who became pregnant. I was the first woman, right, who visibly was carrying a child and went through the process of pregnancy and birth at HoneyBook. And so that was for us. The pivotal experience to really look at that very, very particular transition moment um, in an employee's life. Uh, so, you know, before uh, before I was pregnant, I didn't think about it. Uh, nobody else was pregnant in the company. And then when I was pregnant, you know, I had to think about um, uh, everything, uh, not only for myself, but knowing that whatever sort of programs or benefits or leave policy that I instituted for myself was going to be the model for every other employee after me, right? And then I also understood that that my adherence to that leave, right, so my actual showing and modeling that I will be taking my leave and I will be disconnecting would also be a huge cultural signal to our employees around what was expected of them during that, that leave time. And so, you know, for us, there were, after I became pregnant, by the way, then my, my two co-founders who are married became pregnant soon thereafter, and then many, many other folks. And so, um, you know, like that, I mean, that, that first for me, that first pregnancy uh, was really the, the precursor to what I believe is now a really um, open and welcoming culture of parenthood at that particular company. And that is just, I mean, I really, really cannot overstate how important it is for leadership at the highest levels to actually model what they say, right? So for example, when companies, organizations, or employers say, hey, you know, we have a, you know, 12-week or 16-week or what have you, six-month leave policy, uh, that the leadership, both mothers and fathers, actually take advantage of that time that they take the time off and that they don't come back and meddle in the business, right? Because what their employees, the people that report to them and folks all the way down the line, 
look at and understand from that behavior is whether it's actually culturally accepted to take that time off or not culturally accepted to take that time off. Mm -hmm. um, what a great story about uh, your personal experience and that really setting an example for the rest of the culture at, I mean, at a company of over 100 people now. Um, so when you, when, you, when you conceived the concept uh, for Kinsight, you, uh, you've clearly come a long way and you raised $4 million uh, from initialized capital. Now you have literally thousands of uh, corporate partners who are, uh, who are using your platform. Um, I'm so curious, how was the fundraising experience for you? Uh, because I, I often hear that, um, uh, you know, as we all know, um, uh, the VC world is very male dominated mm -hmm. and often um, these people writing checks, the so white men writing checks, uh, they don't often have to uh, bear the brunt of childcare. And so if they cannot empathize with the intensity of the problem, they might not feel comfortable writing checks. Um, and so I'm so curious, uh, you weren't just um, a, mom, a mom founder, you were also working uh, to solve a problem that they might not be able to relate with. And so how was the mm -hmm. fundraising experience for you? Hmm. You know, uh, Charu, I'll add to that mountain of barriers uh, that I also had a newborn in my arms right oh, wow. during the time that I uh, started Kinside and was fundraising the first tranche, the pre-seed, what we call pre-seed now. Um, and of course, I didn't bring my baby to the meetings. I would have liked to because I was breastfeeding. And by the way, like that, talk about a, a huge uh, paradigm visual shift, right? To actually bring, bring a baby to a VC meeting and breastfeed in the middle. Like I'd love to be, you know what, maybe, maybe my next baby. <laughs> I wasn't brave enough. Um, but, you know, look, literally talk about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your, your, your question, but there were moments, not moments. Every day that I was out fundraising and I was scheduling meetings, I was literally thinking about my breast uh, pumping schedule. Right? Talk about something a male entrepreneur will never have to think about. So I was actually looking at my calendar. I was, you know, schlepping up and downtown in San Francisco or whether it was or, or, or on Zoom sometimes. And I literally had to, you know, sometimes I would have three VCs who wanted to meet with me in a day. And depending on where they were located in town and so on, I couldn't take that third meeting because I wouldn't have enough time or a place or a safe location for me to pump my milk while I was away from my newborn. Um, so, you know, look, these, these, are the, the, these are like the untold tales of the day-to-day -day experience of just not only fundraising, but being out in the working world um, and being uh, a career woman who is maybe on the go or is traveling a bunch. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, it's interesting. I was just telling this story earlier that, um, we went through Y Combinator. So let me start there. We went through Y Combinator. That was our fir very first fundraise in a way, right? Because Y Combinator gives you some money and then they mm -hmm. of course, uh, propel you to then go in and fundraise in a very efficient way. So my experience of fundraising for Kinside starts in the moment that I walked into the YC interview which is, you know, famed. Uh, it's this, you know, 10-minute uh, famous interview. They're, you know, it's supposed to be fast and furious and rapid. There's a panel of judges or interviewers. You know, they're throwing questions at you. You know, your head's spinning and you walk out. Like, that's what every blog post that you read about that interview says. Um, so I walk into this, you know, this 10-minute meeting uh, or this 10-minute uh, in interview. I was invited to interview. 
And I had to pitch them an idea. Uh, I didn't have a company yet. There was no product. Uh, there was no team. It was just me. And, uh, you know, this is a very atypical experience of going through Y Combinator. But there were a couple of things that I had going for me. And I really want to, like, I, I'm glad you're asking me this because I want every female uh, founder out there to hear this. Um, one is that, so, okay, so the first, so like really like the big question in the room is what are you doing here, right? Like why, why do you think you need to be in Y Combinator? You have nothing. Why are you here? Uh, why, why, you know, please come back at, you know, why, why not later? And mm-hmm. the answer was one, um, I, uh, I am the right founder. Like, so I had to convince them of two things. One, I am the right founder to solve this challenge which is, you know, that the employer-based system needs a solution and an intervention uh, for their uh, parents in terms of the child care. And secondly, uh, I was like, this is like, this is an inevitable problem. It's going to get solved by someone and Mm -hmm. it's going to be me. So again, it's me like you know, I already had a really great, great background from HoneyBook. Um, it was very relevant because at HoneyBook, I learned how to look at small business owners that were existing mostly offline and how to convert their business and modernize their business to being online. So similar in the daycare and preschool space, most of those operators are offline. So one is like one, me, uh, and my co-founders who also come from HoneyBook. Uh, we work together. And then Secondly was, look, this problem, this like, this is the right moment in time. The market needs a child care benefit. And so, oh, and then thirdly, by the way, t- talk about like having ponchos um, or well, I don't know what the expression is, being brave um, and, and really and walking in there with some level of ego and confidence. The third, the third yeah. thing I said was, Look, this is your this is your chance to invest in me now because six months from now in your next batch, I this company's already going to be off the ground. I will have probably already fundraised, and I'm not going to join YC then. And I said it just like that. <laughs> um, and you know, I love it. And look, it was the combination of you know of, of the 12 minutes that I was in there. I had an incredible uh, partner who was sitting there in the panel of judges, uh, Holly Lou, who is a mm-hmm. female yeah. who is a mom, yeah, uh, a founder herself of a billion-dollar company. She was sitting there, uh, and she really believed in this. In fact, she, she, she became our very first angel investor. But I'll never forget the moment. By the way, you talk about pitching well, to your question, pitching to male VCs who maybe do not understand a, a quote-unquote woman's problem, although childcare is an everyone problem. Anyway, uh, I remember, I'll never forget that one of the partners, um, who was a wonderful individual, I won't name them, but you know, it was a, it was a question. Uh, he says, he says, well, I mean, I don't get it. So like, you know, women and they, they come back to work and you have a baby and, um, like, is it like, is it hard to find childcare? That was literally the question was, is this like, like, is this a real problem that uh, people have finding childcare? And wow. Holly Lou looks over and she says, yes, it is. And it always falls on the woman, period. Right. So look, I, I, there were so many things that happened right and happened well um, in those 12 minutes. And that was, you know, for me, the, the, the opening 
to not only Kinside as a company, but really to our fundraising journey. And since then, I am very pleased um, to say that fundraising has not been an incredibly difficult process. Uh, and I, I think, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned, um, but also because we have gained incredible traction in a very short time. Mm-hmm. I, I really love this story because um, I think, um, I mean, while the system is stacked up against, um, you know, uh, parents, uh, female founders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in my experience, I found that I think we become our biggest enemies because the self-talk we have with ourselves is that we're disadvantaged. Nobody wants to invest in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and believing in yourself is is really the best weapon we've got. So I really mm-hmm. love that Vicey story, how you went in, uh, really owning the room. Um, and, and I also appreciate that you were able to find the right advocates early on because it makes the world of a difference. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, Charu, that, the, the self-confidence is everything. I'm, you know, that's not to, so I think it's like 50%, like have a good product, have a good problem to solve, right? Like the business model has to stand on its own two legs, but truly, and I mean, truly the other half, like that's just 50%. 50% is like your product and your team and everything has to be lot, like, you know, tight. The substance. The actual substance and it's a good problem it's a real problem and you are doing it well you know wh- wh- whatever stage you are you you will execute against this but the other 50% is storytelling I mean it's truly it's mm. narrative and storytelling isn't just the words you say it's the attitude right it's the personality it's the approach it's your body language I mean I literally <laughs> sometimes when I walk into the um, more uh, like stuffy classical VCs, um, which and which I don't visit a ton of, by the way, because we're in the early stages. It's kind of a waste of time, oftentimes, to talk to the bigger VCs. But every now and then, I'll go in there, and I actually think about how I sit, you know. And when I'm sitting across the table from uh, usually a man, who you know they like to sit in this like cross-legged way, they take up a lot of space, right? Like you know the pose I'm talking about. They put their arms behind their neck. And you know what? I do the same exact thing. (laughs) And, uh, and I truly think about, and, you know, and like, rather than leaning in, I lean back, I lean back into my chair just a little bit. I mean, I don't, I'm not obnoxious, right? I have, I I have pretty good social graces, but there is so much that you communicate with the essence and with your attitude and with your vibe that, um, the person across the seat who has a lot of power, meaning they have money that you want, you also have to keep in mind, you have something they want, right? Lean back into your chair, girl. You, like they need to invest in good companies. It is their job. It is their job to invest in the best founders so that they make more money for their LPs. And guess what? You're going to make a ton of money, right? So they are lucky to have you in the room and vice versa. You know, it's a a two-way thing, but there's so much like there's so much mental stamina that goes into walking through these VC meetings and really reminding yourself and believing that you have something that they want. And so literally lean back <laughs> a little. I love that. That's the new motto. Lean and back. Let them lean in. Um, it's so funny. Yeah. 
Um, it's so funny. This is literally one of the, I think my, my, one of my biggest takeaways I had, um, from fundraising for my last company. Uh, I, I was pretty young and humble when I started my last company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think I would go into these meetings having this, you know, very humble, uh, mm-hmm. posture and body language. And I wanted them to be my mentors and they would give me advice, but they wouldn't give me money. And I, I had to learn the hard way that, uh-huh. um, that, I needed to make sure that they looked at me like a peer. And mm-hmm. for that to happen, I had to believe that I was an equal and, th- and that they were lucky uh, to be able to, you know, have the opportunity to invest in my company. And um, I think some people are natural storytellers. As you know, you were talking about storytelling, not just the content, but the way you present it. Um, but I, I think others who might not have the privilege of growing up uh, with, you know, parents or teachers who really believed in them or for whatever reason, you know, not, not everyone. Uh, uh, I, th- I think when it comes to confidence, it's also not a level playing field. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think, though, we can put effort into it. We can surround ourselves with people who, who build up our confidence. I think we can take classes in public uh, speaking. I think we can build ourselves up. And so I'm curious, do you have any actionable advice that uh, founders who, who don't think they're as confident as you, especially female founders, uh, what do you what do you think they can do to um, to get up to speed? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a beautiful thought, Charu, and um, I, I agree that really everything and anything is a skill set, and it's possible. Um, so I I I actually surround myself with a lot of mentorship, and uh, mentorship comes in many different formats. Uh, but for me, that comes in the form of a, um, of a formal coach, an executive coach, which I know is uh, a privilege that a lot of folks, especially early stage founders, might not be able to afford. Um, but if you can, if you have absolutely any funding, I don't know, that is more than like, I don't know, $200,000 or something then you need to Mm -hmm. pay for an executive coach because that's an investment in you. It's the cost of doing business. It's not a luxury. So by the way, that goes back to you believing and understanding in yourself as as a person and an employee and a CEO or a founder uh, whose job it is to be the best. And so in order to be the best, like athletes need coaches, so get a coach. Um, When you don't have access to a formal coach, I, um, you know, I meet people in all walks of life and I express a lot of humility. Like you said, in fact, when, like when I'm not asking for something like money, I can be the most (laughs) disarming, humble person in the world. And, you know, and I just say, teach me something. By the way, mentorship doesn't have to come in this format that is very official or very formal or very structured. I've had mentors that didn't even know they were my mentors, right? I've had I've I've had mentoring moments that came and went, but the point is that whenever I I am around someone whom I admire, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this person is like a badass in, you know, in uh, recruiting or in marketing or in building XYZ or they've done XYZ." I do my darndest to say literally have big do big deer eyes or whatever and say teach me something um and so <laughs> I have a lot of those moments throughout life and then a lot of those times those folks are just so flattered and so pleased that someone can look up to them that they actually uh you know put the time back into that relationship um and so I would say wherever you see anyone taking an interest in you uh really really double down on that relationship 
because when someone, like you said, Charu, that when you feel that someone believes in you, it is the best feeling in the world. But not VCs. <laughs> to your point, <laughs> investors are not your mentors. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'll, I'll piggyback off of what you started to say, and that is that, um, you know, like the reason for like strutting into that VC meeting and sitting down like you own that conference table is that is that they need to literally imagine you sitting at a board table when your company is 100 and 500 and 1,000 employees and you have a real executive team around you and you have a real board meeting and they really need to imagine you in that moment, can this person command a room? Can they command a meeting? Will this person be able to do the hard things like do a layoff, fire folks, hire right? Will they be able to course correct? And so, I mean, truly all of that is communicated in those 30 minutes that you said there. So I agree with you. Don't, yeah, like, don't be so, yeah, I would say to the few, to, to really any, any young founder, um, there is a lot to learn, but also, um, know that you are expressing a lot in that moment around your ability to lead and really own and handle, uh, a meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like um, surrounding yourself with people who can who can help you become better, uh, including mentors, whether formal or not, um, executive coaches. And I, I really like how you gave the athlete analogy. And you're right. It's it's not a luxury. It's a business expense. I really like that you said that. It's a business expense. Uh, and then also, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also uh, what you said about being deliberate about your body language, your choice of words, uh, and building that confidence in your stakeholders. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit mm-hmm. and talk about um, finances. I, I know you've mm-hmm. had success in the past, um, but I'm so curious, how do you think about that financial component and that financial risk that comes with it? Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you think about that? So the answer is... No, you can't take those financial risks anymore. Bottom line, you know, when you have a child, a household, by the way, whether you have children or not, you have a mortgage, a household to sustain, but certainly and especially when you have a family, you have a responsibility to that family. Um, so I love this topic because it feels contradictory. It's like, yeah, Shadia, but you're doing a early stage startup and it can fail at any given moment. And that is true. That is a very, that's, that's a wild risk, right? Or it's, it's a, it's a real risk. Uh, I won't fail at any moment. I know what my runway is. And so I always know how many months I can be employed. Um, But of course it's not a steady uh, sort of corporate career job, but here is my most effusive advice to Every single mother and parent out there, but certainly the mothers who are founding companies, and this is actually to all the women, pay yourself. So if you can found a company and one of your first milestones is, okay, I'm going to found a company, I have to pay myself. Okay, that's the first problem to solve in founding your company, right? Being a founder is about solving problems and doing crazy things, developing a new product for a new market, uh, overcoming the odds, yada, yada. So if you have the conviction to take on this huge market risk, then have the conviction to go out and find yourself, you know, a a couple of angel investors. So you can put a hundred K in your bank account, right? That's it. Put a hundred thousand dollars in your bank account or 200 or 300, whatever that means for you. Because as a condition of you becoming a founder or founding a new company, 
you need to get paid so that you can take on that important work, right? The way that I think about it is, well, I could go get a job at Amazon or whatever for some incredible market rate, uh, or I can found my own company, not not getting Amazon salary, right? So that's another thing. Like I'm, I know I'm not going to get paid the most, but I need a sufficient amount of money to have a to comfortably support my family. And by comfortably, I mean like you know, like you're not up at night worrying about the mortgage or the bills or the preschool, because if you're up worrying a night financially in order to sustain your family, then you are not going to be an effective founder or an effective CEO, right? So again, this, this goes back to like, this is the cost of doing business. This is a business expense in order, like, you know, the world needs me to be working on this problem. I have, you know, I have conviction that I need to be working on this. So let me have conviction that I can convince a couple of folks to give me money so that I can first and foremost, before I pay anyone or anything, I need to pay myself so that I can invest my time in working on this problem. And I'm very unapologetic about that. You know, we we usually read these blog posts written by um, white young males who gra- just graduated college or whatever, right? Like the whose experiences do not match our experience. And they say, oh, you know, you have to pay yourself uh, ramen or don't pay yourself at all or only pay yourself 60K in the Bay Area or what have you. And those are all just mythical experiences that I have never had for myself. Like I've never been one of those people. And, you know, I I had the moment of paying myself uh, a little bit during my first company before I had the children. I know what that's like. And going into Kinside the second time around with a, you know, a second child, a newborn in my arms, I did have a bottom line threshold for myself of how much I needed to take home from day one. I think it's going to give permission to so many uh, female founders listening in. Uh, I think just this week, um, I read this tweet by a really famous angel investor in San Francisco, and he's pretty experienced, um, uh, but it's a guy. And um, I think I think the tweet says something like, um, in his portfolio, in his investing experience of over two decades now, um, one of the biggest correlations he's seen is that the successful companies had founders that that paid themselves really less. <laughs> um, and that to me is just bonkers, right? Um, so I, I really appreciate uh, that that you shared um, your perspective so honestly. I think it's really going to give permission to so many uh, mothers and aspiring founders listening in. And it's um, those stories and those little sound bites that get, you know, that get tweet, you know, literally it's a little tweak. It's tweeted out in 140 characters, whatever it is. It's those sound bites, it's those stories that are so discouraging to folks that are not in, that are not this monolithic version of what a white male entrepreneur, you know, single entrepreneur is. Um, and they, those stories are so harmful. And look, yeah, like if, are you going to be a founder to pay yourself $200,000 on year one? No. Um, but the gap between what you're quote unquote supposed to do and that, that story you just said and what actually, you know, what is like a livable, decent salary for women, mothers and families makes the gap so wide that it just discourages females from entering and mothers from entering entrepreneurship altogether. Very much so. And people who don't have that safety net. I mean, you know, if your parents are living in Palo Alto and yeah. they're millionaires. You're like, great, uh, I'll just live in your basement, yeah. dad. 
not everyone has that and uh, and that includes men and and fathers mm -hmm. exactly yeah. I, absolutely um okay so switching gears a little um uh, so it, it, feel feel free to skip this. Um, uh, but the question is, um, do you think you missed out on career or life opportunities because you had limitations as a mom? Um, and if so, how does that make you feel? You know, on the grand scheme of things, I feel that I have a great career, right? And I'm really in control of my destiny. I have a I have the best job imaginable, truly the best job I've ever had, which is CEO of Kinside. Um, so, but but there are micro moments, maybe even mm -hmm. not even micro, maybe like micro medium moments and decisions that I have made that absolutely affected my career trajectory. Um, you know what? I don't know if it was for the worse or for the better. I am here, and I love being here. But I'll give you a very real example, and I think it's an example that a lot of women in uh, sort of rising leadership positions are making. So uh, in my past company at Honeybug, you know, as a founder, I really had the uh, privilege of choosing my job, right? I want to, uh, and not only the privilege, but like the necessity that we needed to stand up and scale really every team in the company from the ground up, like you said, from zero to 120 employees. And along the way, I became the head of sales. Um, and, you know, Owning uh, owning a revenue number is an incredibly influential uh, position to be in. Uh, it's very difficult. It's like there's a very high sort of target on you, but it also is very rewarding um, and can have incredible um, payback in the lifetime of your career, having managed and owned a sales team and, you know, hitting the targets, ideally. And yet, uh, I had just had my first baby. I was experiencing postpartum depression uh, very heavily in the first three, four months, and then less and less um, as time went on. But I was just exhausted from that entire experience. So about my baby was about six months, and I decided, you know, I think I need a bit of a of a of a more internal job. I thought, like I, you know, I need a job that isn't so uh, full Stressful. throttle, full throttle. And so I actually uh, chose to step into the head of HR role, which was, by the way, it just, you know, it's just as meaningful and significant, just the pace is a little different and the style of work is different. And I made that real decision, you know, intentionally because I wanted, I just needed something different. I needed a different lifestyle. I needed to be home at certain, you know, hours and times of the day and so on. And it just fit perfectly. And that decision was fine. It's just that I look back and I think, you know, how many, and I'm fine now because like I, you know, again, I was a founder and I was in a great position to, I was in a great career position and still am. But there are so many women, especially in the corporate workplace, right, who are going to have to make this decision as they're climbing the ladder, whether to take on a more sort of high uh, visibility, influential, and more high pressure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, it's pretty counterintuitive, but I've often seen that. Uh, moms who are founders actually have more control, like you said, on your destiny and on your schedule. Um, and, and you can certainly build in that flexibility in your life. Uh, whereas I think when you're an employee in a more structured environment, especially if you're earlier in your career and don't have that much of a cloud or a say, um, you, you don't you don't get to have that luxury. Um, mm -hmm. so, um, so like you mentioned before, um, you know, th there are ways to make this work. 
uh, and it's actually a very powerful position to be a founder when you're also a mom because you can you can really build your own life. Uh, you, you you can design uh, the balance between work and life, so to speak. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm I'm curious, Shadia, what you think is the right time to have a child, if there is such a thing. <laughs> the right time is always and never <laughs> because there <laughs> isn't the right time. Um, I really don't have an answer on this one. I I tend to move very quickly once I make a decision. And for me and my partner at the time, it was just a matter of we just woke up one day and felt ready. And by one day, I mean like over the course of many months. And <laughs> like we were like, ah, it's the time. And then we're just like, let's pull the trigger. Um, and then now in pr- having actually done it, <laughs> having two kids and experiencing that, um, there really never is a right time. I don't know. It's... I, Charlie, this is a, I, I wish I had a more like elegant answer to this, but I think the reason that I'm kind of uh, stuttering is that whether you have your baby at, at the beginning of your career at 25, when you're, you know, mid-established at 32, or you're all the way in and, and with your feet on the ground in a career at 40 or what have you, um, not, not a lot changes for us infrastructurally and, and systemically. Like the, our, our mm. infra, the infrastructure around childcare and supporting working mothers is nil at any one of those ages, right? That the challenges are just a bit different financially as, you know, as, as, as we have more earning power um, along the way. But it's, it's hard to think uh, that any one of those ages is better because all along the way, it's really just us. It's, it's the working, um, it's the family on their own. It's really sad. It's so sad. Uh, and I'm really grateful. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that there are companies like Kinside making a difference here. Um, I'm, I'm curious, um, what does success look like for you? So over the next few years, what is the impact you want to have with Kinside? You know, the... The impact that I want to have is is twofold. Um, one is the impact I actually want to have on every parent, every working parent out there and on the general infrastructure or the general system. And the other one is the impact I want to have for myself and my family. Um, and I would be lying if I didn't admit that I'm totally 100% also motivated by what I want for myself and my family. Um, so let's just start with the first one. And that's really the obvious one. It's it like, you know, that's really what propels not only myself, but my co-founders and every person in our team to get up every day and work on this challenge. And that is that we really believe that we are making the world a better place. We are really trying to move the dials on the, on the system, uh, on the employer-based system and how they contribute uh, to a more equitable society, um, and how they contribute to parents having uh, access to uh, quality, affordable childcare. Right. So, if, if you told me what happens in ten years, what does success look like? It means that a vast majority of employers are contributing to their employees' childcare costs as well as the accessibility and availability of childcare. Um, and it also means that we have made progress on the governmental policy front, 
and that parents are actually, and that childcare is seen as a public good. And so everyone's contributing to childcare as a public good. Um, what it looks like for my family, honestly, for, for me, that's actually not a 10-year horizon. It's something that I'm living right now. For me, it means that I am building an organization, a culture, a workplace that enables not only me, but all of my employees to live their fullest lives, truly, in, in work and out of work. And we do a lot of things internally that uh, show that we really mean it, such as, you know, we offer parents uh, 12 weeks of paid leave, no matter what kind of parent you are, male, female, adoptive, surrogate, what have you. Um, we also offer childcare subsidies. We, uh, we help parents pay for the childcare and we, you know, and many, many other types of interventions. But I actually, again, as I mentioned, I, I need to model it first. And for me, I model this on a daily basis uh, by spending a fair amount of time with my kids. As simple as that. I am just uh, so inspired by the passion you have for this problem. Uh, passion clearly drips from you. Um, and, and I also really appreciate the honesty you have around your personal motivations to run this company and to, to run it in a way that works for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I absolutely love that. Um, my last question to you is, um, what advice do you have for women and men who are planning to have kids? Uh, so, you know, people like me, but, but they're scared uh, about it affecting their careers. Hmm. You know, um, I guess I would say where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, it will affect your careers. Uh, not if you're male. The Actually. research shows that if you are a male who becomes a father, your lifetime earnings actually increase versus the non-fathers, whereas the inverse is true for women who become mothers. Our lifetime earnings decrease dramatically. Uh, so I just wanted to set. Uh, I just wanted to kind of set the record straight on that and modify that question a bit, which is: Will your career change? Yes, for the better if you're a dad. Uh, possibly not for the better if you're a mother, which I know is a very depressing answer. Having said that. What tips can I um, can I give? I would say, look, the first few years of having those babies are brutal. Uh, not only because of the physical and emotional just like uh, requirements of raising a tiny little tot who needs a lot of your attention, but also, of course, because of the lack of support and the lack of village that we have. Having said that, I would say to women, frankly. Um, in those, like when you're getting ready to have a, a baby, absolutely plan your career and your job around a job that will give you maximum paid leave, benefits, great health insurance, and work flexibility. And, you know, it might, and, you know, if you're uh, just a turbocharger um, and you want to stay in this super, um, like, high pressure career, do that too. Like where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, just be kind to yourself. Be gracious. Uh, no, like be, be gracious with yourself. Know that it will be difficult, but like you can make it through. Whether whether you kind of want to scale back and take a great job at Facebook so you could you know have a little more work life balance in the first four years, or whether you want to take like the hot shot job, you know, at the investment bank, um, leading a group of one thousand. Do that as well. You will figure it out. 
Well, um, this was such a pleasure. I'm so, so thrilled that you made time for this conversation. I truly wish you the very best. I, I hope that uh, Kinside continues to have the impact that you have envisioned. Um, and one last question, where can our audience learn more about Kinside uh, and keep in touch with you? Thank you so much for having me, Charu. Uh, your listeners can find us at kinside.com. So it's K-I-N-S-I-D-E, kinside.com. And uh, please tell your uh, HR about us. Absolutely. I think I'm, I'm going to go on LinkedIn today and post about Kinsight.com. Uh, I, I think you're doing such fantastic work and you're clearly a very mission-driven, very focused and very, very competent and inspiring founder. Um, I'm, again, so grateful that you made time for today. It's been a lovely conversation. Thank you. It's my Shadi. pleasure. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share with your friends and subscribe to Working Moms wherever you get your podcast. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week.